you'll please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 16. We are returning to a, a topical study where we are looking at the kingdom aspect. So we looked at kingdom renewal about three weeks ago, and then we had Hurricane Dorian uh, come in, and we spent some time dealing with a storm. And so now we come back to the understanding of what does it mean to have kingdom renewal, kingdom repentance, uh, kingdom uh, preaching of the gospel, kingdom prayer, kingdom evangelism. What does it mean to, to see the kingdom and how do we apply it and live it out? And so again, we started three weeks ago talking about the differences of the kingdom in regards to the church. And so we looked at saying, are we just simply a church that looks back to the, the gone by days, the days when these things happened? Or do we see ourselves as simply maintaining? We don't want to, to upset the things that are going on, so we just simply maintain. Or do we see the church as a movement, something that goes out to change the world to where we begin to see ourselves as the missionaries? Not we send out missionaries, but I am the missionary. And as I am the missionary, then where does God send me to go out and to preach the gospel? to heal the sick, to set captives free. And so we're beginning to look at what does it mean to have that renewal, because again, if we're honest, all of us go through times uh, where we become stagnant. We just we just quit growing. We quit being concerned about the loss. We quit caring about our neighbors. We quit caring about um, those who are co-workers or those in our extended family. We get tired and we quit praying. We quit um, trying to, to talk to them about the gospel and we just, we kind of throw up our hands. And so what we're looking today is we get this perspective where Jesus comes in. And again, the context of this passage is Jesus is coming to the disciples who are upset. They're struggling because Jesus has said, I'm going to go away. I need to die. But this is a good thing. And the disciples are saying, how can this be a good thing? I mean, if we're honest, if most of us had the opportunity to say, okay, you can have Jesus as your pastor or the Holy Spirit, how many of us wouldn't say, well, well, yeah, of course I want Jesus as my pastor. And Jesus comes in and he says, no, what you need is you need me to leave. You need me to leave so that the Holy Spirit might come and indwell you as an individual. Not just Jesus speaking to you, but to have the Holy Spirit indwell within you. And so as the Holy Spirit indwells within you, this is what um, Jesus says to them in John chapter 16, starting in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, these are your words. And so, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, give us clarity of mind and thought as we come to your word. Lord, may we hear and understand what it means to repent and to run back to you. And as we've already sung, Lord, that your grace and your mercy are greater than all of our sin. And so, Lord, we thank you that we hear the good news clearly once again and restore to us the joy of your salvation. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So we live in a day and age where we need to kind of define, and we're going to talk about some uh, churchy words this morning. So uh, he talks about rending our hearts, as we've seen earlier in the passage and as we talk about. And it's an understanding where, again, he doesn't just simply want us to rend our garments. He doesn't want us just to go through sacrifice. He doesn't just want us to go through physical actions. He wants it to be a heart issue. And it's a big deal because we need to understand that a lot of times we live in a day and age where behavior modification is the norm. And so I want us to to begin by understanding what is it that we're trying to fix. And so we need to define sin. Because we live in a day and age where people think of sin as doing something bad. So um, if I steal, if I cheat, if I do something like that, well then I'm going to be a bad person. So that is sin. But that's not the understanding of what the scripture talks about. The scripture talks about doing anything that would be outside of God's law, whether doing something wrong, but also not doing the things that we know we're supposed to, doing the things that are right. So if we don't love the people around us, if we don't speak the gospel as we should, those are things that go against God's law. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sin this way. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So the understanding is it's missing the mark. So again, if we don't hit the bullseye every time, then we are sin. And therefore, as part of the sin, we need to be forgiven. Now again, a lot of times what people are is they're sorry for sin. They're sorry for sin. Now, again, that's very different than repentance. Because, again, we can have regret or sorrow for sin. There was uh, one of the pastors that talked about this said he had someone come into his office and they said, hey, I feel really bad that I have cheated on my wife. Um, I've cheated on my children. And um, I'm really sorry for that. And he said, well, now you need to to repent and restore your relationship. Come back to to your wife. And he said, no, no. I'm still going to get a divorce and I'm still going to marry the person that I've had uh, the relationship with, but I just really feel bad. And he said, then you don't understand repentance. You might feel sorry for your sin. You might regret your sin, but you don't understand repentance and you don't understand forgiveness. It's the difference between Peter and Judas, right? Both of them denied Christ. Both of them denied Christ at the, the height of the ministry, right? Judas goes and he sells Jesus out for silver. But Peter, Peter stands there and says, hey, if everybody else leaves you, Jesus, I won't. And Jesus looks at him and he says, tonight you're going to deny me three times, but I have prayed for you, Peter. So both feel sorry. Remember, Judas feels sorry, throws the, the coins back into the, to the treasury area. Peter's sorry. But one goes away and he gets hung. Judas hangs himself. And he says he's, he's there in, in hell. Peter denies Christ and Jesus forgives him and restores him. And only that tells him to go out and to tell the brothers about the gospel message. So the distinction is we can feel sorry for things. We can feel sorry for our behavior. But it doesn't mean that we have repented of our behavior. See, repentance is that 180 degree turning. It's where we're going after our own way. And again, there can be good things there. We can be living for our family. We can be living for our career. We can be living for ministries. But if we're not living wholeheartedly for Christ, 
then again we're walking in the wrong way and God says turn back. Turn back and run to Jesus. And so it's, it, we have to be careful that we're not just sorry for sin, but there has to be a repentance. But there's also behavior modification that goes on a lot of times. We live in a day and age where people talk about, and you see this in schools, you see it um, in places of business, just either put in positive or negative reinforcements. So if we put in positive reinforcements, if we give things to them, if we give them parties in, this, in the classroom, if we give them bonuses at their jobs, then they will work in such a way to, to earn things or take away things from them. But either way, we need to put the, we need to change their behavior just by modifying it. Now, that sounds a lot like the Pharisees. Just change how you act. And if you change how you act, well, then that's enough. But the reality is, is it's, it's a matter of the heart. This is what Samuel says. First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, it's a heart issue. It's not just cleaning the outside of the cup. It's not just behavior modification. Joel 2 says this, Yet even now declares the Lord, Rent to me with all of your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Sorry. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. See, it's about the heart. See, if we just simply change our behaviors, we might be able to do that for a short period of time. It's only when our hearts are changed by the gospel that we would find ourselves really having a change where our behavior is being transformed by the gospel. And so he says, don't rend your garments, rend your heart. Rip your heart open to Christ. Repent to him. Because the reality is, and if we understand that, is that we have this conviction where it's against God alone. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, David said it here in in Psalm 51. It's also the story that we get from the prodigal son in Luke 15. He says, against God and God alone have I sinned. Now, again, does our sin affect other people? Yes, It affects other people. But ultimately, it's against God. They do not want to offend God. Even in modern times, if we, if we do something and someone gets arrested, um, just because we decide to stop something doesn't mean that the state doesn't continue to prosecute them. Because against, it's against the law. So even if we say, hey, I don't want to take this to court. I don't want to do this. It's up to the state to, to drop charges or to prosecute. Because it's against the law. And so what happens is every time that we sin, there's a perversion of God's original perfection. Every time. And so every time that we sin, we are sinning against God. Now, might it affect other people? Yes. But ultimately, it offends God himself. And so what he does, he says there has to be a conviction of sin and a pursuing after righteousness. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see is there's a mourning over sin. So the question we should be asking ourselves is, do we have contrition okay, over sin? And what do I mean by that? It means, is there truly a mourning when we sin? 
Or are we just lukewarm or apathetic? Do we just kind of say, yeah, I sin, but it's not a big deal. Now, again, I don't want us to get so caught up in the, the sin aspect that we lose the mercy and grace. Okay, but I want us to truly go for a moment, okay, to an understanding that our sin is what sent Jesus to the cross. So every time that we sin, we are going against God's ultimate design. So every time that we sin, we should have sorrow. And the way that the sorrow is written in the Greek, it's like a wailing over a lost one. That is how we should see our sin. We should be wailing as if we are looking at someone who has died close to us in our family. Which means that we need to take time to confess our sins. To name our sins. Again, it's easy to say, I'm a sinner. Well, what are your sins? Well, you know, I just don't measure up. I'm not perfect. No, no, no. what are your sins? How are you treating your wife? How are you treating your children? How are you treating your neighbors? What's your thought life? If they came in and looked at your records for your taxes, would there be any discrepancies? Would there be whatever? What isn't in our individual lives that is the sin that we carry? Because we need to name it and confess it. And as we confess it, we go back to Christ. And this needs to happen both for us personally as well as corporately. Because you're part of a small group, you're part of a church, you're part of a nation. So there are things that affect other people just by your nature of who you are and the groups that you're a part of. And so we need to confess personally our sin and we need to confess corporately over and over and over again. And when we do that, what happens according to the scripture is there should be a striving then or a pursuing after righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Well, a lot of times we live in a day and age where people kind of, again, believe in personal righteousness. I'm a good person. I do good things. Um, they talk about how we trust in our righteousness. They talk about an example in uh, the World War II where the POWs were um, in camp. And so they used to send over games and different things. And so what happened is this: um, they started playing with Monopoly money. And so that became the currency of the camp for the prisoners. And so everything started happening in, monop- in Monopoly money. And so obviously they would pay for their cigarettes. They would get extra things in camp and do everything. Well, it got to the place where the guy who kind of became the king of the camp um, took this money after, after the war was over and actually took it to the bank. And he wanted to deposit this money in his account. And the bank was just like, this is Monopoly money. This isn't real money. And he sat there and fought and was just like, no, I earned this money in my prison camp. This is mine. And see, a lot of times that's how we deal with our own personal righteousness. God, I've, I've earned this. You owe me. I have done what I'm supposed to do. I come to church. I say my prayers. I do all the right things. I press all the right buttons. You owe me. And God says, depart from me. Now, why would he say depart from me? Because if we come in our own righteousness, then we've missed the picture. And the greatest picture is, is that Christ lived the perfect life. Christ is the only one who can pay for our sins. Christ is the only one who can give to us his righteousness. 
And so he gives to us his righteousness, then there should become a hunger within inside of us to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. There should be that hunger to say, hey, I will do anything to strive for Christ to be glorified and honored. There's a story given by uh, Clint Jr. and is written, it's talking about uh, Damon Giuseppe. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, Damon Giuseppe is a, this person who uh, it started off by sleeping outside of a facility to get an access, and he spent all of his money to get access to where he could get a tryout. Now, he did not know the people, and he twisted the story to say that he did know some people, but he got to the point where he got to try out and run a 40-yard dash. So here he is, he's sleeping outside waiting um, to go for this trial. He gets a trial, he runs a 4340. Okay? And he runs fast enough that he gets an invite to go to the camp. Now he bought a one-way ticket from his home to Miami. So now he has a week to kill. So he spends the week sleeping on a grassy patch outside of the training facility. He goes and charges his phone at the laundromat. He goes and takes free passes to a gym to take his showers every day. And he gets to the place where he goes and he begs for his food. And he does this for a week until he gets a trial where he takes his mom's frequent flyer miles to fly up to Ohio to try out for the professional team. Now, they tell the story of it's not just that, but go back a number of years. He didn't even play high school football. He went to a junior college, was cut from that, but got his summer schedule and worked so hard that the coaches wouldn't tell him no at the end of the summer. They let him stay on the team. He became an all-American ball returner. He then said, well, I want to go to a four-year college. And so he, he gives all of his money, takes all of his money, maxes out his credit cards, flying around the country to every Division I school to try to get a scholarship. Nobody gives him one. Not one. So he's maxed out his credit cards. He has nothing. So he goes. And so now he starts running routes out in, uh, in, out in uh, the West for these people who are going to the NFL. He wants to continue to do this. So he gets to the point where all he has left is the $200 for his plane ticket that he pays for to go down to Miami. And then he tells a story of this person gets his 85-yard run back for the Cleveland team that he tried out for. And the question that the point of the thing was, he was hungry to find his dreams. Are we as hungry for Christ's righteousness? Would we do anything? Would we give up things so that Christ's righteousness might become instead of us? Because the scripture is clear, who, he who hungers for righteousness will be satisfied. Now again, I want us to take a moment because there are differences between true and false repentance. Here are these, these differences. True repentance does not regret parting ways with sin. False repentance hates in the loss of sin. Do you get the difference? True repentance has no regrets leaving a sinful lifestyle. False repentance does it, but they regret having lost its sin. True repentance hates sin. False repentance hates the consequences of sin. See, they hate getting caught. True repentance accepts godly counsel and accountability. False repentance avoids all accountability. 
So again, as you begin to look at your life and ask yourself the questions of, am I really repentant over my sin? Am I really wanting to put my sin to death? Am I really striving after Christ's righteousness? Am I hungering for that? Then ask yourself the question, when your sin is taken away or somebody points out sin, how do you react? Are you sad that you got caught? Or you're glad that someone came and told you the truth and cared about you enough to tell you the truth of the gospel so that you might repent and run back to Christ? So we get this opportunity to, to have this conviction of sin. We, we know it's a, a thing of the heart, but then how do we respond once we do repent? And the first thing it talks about is restitution. So have you ever been to a 3D movie and taken off the glasses? Okay, so everything gets out of focus, right? Well, that's our life. All of our, everything about us after the fall is out of focus. So, All of our emotions are out of focus. Our life is out of focus. Things don't go the way they're supposed to. Nothing is. And so what's happening is that as you become a Christian, there's a restoration. There's a process. Does it happen overnight? No, it doesn't happen overnight. But there is a transformation to where there is a desire to be what we were created to be in the garden. That we would have that relationship with God. And so we have this opportunity now to go back and do good things. And again, we see that there's, wherever we have the opportunity to restitute uh, things that we've done wrong, I mean, we look at the stories of like Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus comes, he meets Jesus on the road, he has a change of heart, he becomes a Christian, and what does he say? I'm going to give back four times what I took illegally from people. There's a desire to go back and restore and to say, hey, those that I've stolen from, those that I've taken things from, I want to restore to them the joy that I have for my salvation. For as I have been forgiven, I want to, to forgive. As I have been forgiven of my debts, I want to forgive other people's debts. And so there's restitution that happens. There's also the understanding of restoration. See, once we understand and apply the gospel to ourselves and and really grasp and understand that my sin was paid for on the cross and I was given to Christ's righteousness, therefore I should give that to other people. And again, the more I understand what Christ has forgiven me of, the more willing I am to forgive the people around me. Have to. So again, if I'm reminded of the things that Christ forgave me as a sinner and still sin, even in the midst of knowing what's right, even in knowing the midst of what the Bible tells me, then I should be able to forgive those around me. Which means that this should not be a place where we expect people to come fixed or looking the right way or always saying the right words. This is a place for sinners to come, for people to be healed, the sick to be set, to be healed of their their sicknesses, for prisoners to be set free of the things that hold on to them. This is a place where people can come and just be and let Jesus change them. That's the gospel. And as the more that we get that, the more that I want to be with other people. So if you come in here and if there's somebody in here that you look at and go, I can't forgive them. I can't be around them. Then you don't understand the gospel. It has to be, I forgive everyone as I have been forgiven. There is not one thing that anybody can go through in this lifetime that's enough for us to say, I cannot be forgiven or I cannot forgive. Nothing. And so there has to be the restoration because they will know we are Christians by what? Our love. And that's the that's the extent. He doesn't qualify it. He says, love one another, lay down your life for one another. That's what he calls us to do, to restore those relationships. And when we restore relationships, listen, they get stronger. 
not weaker. And as we begin to restore them, we have to understand that we have reconciliation with our Father. As we repent, we come back to Christ. We come back to Him. And as we're at His feet, we want His glory and honor to be known to all people. As I've been forgiven, so you can be forgiven. Come and know the gospel message. So the question becomes, how do you know if you've fallen back in love with Jesus? I think the greatest example of this is Stephen. Acts chapter 7, at verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, the religious people. And they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, listen, this is something amazing. He's standing at the right hand of God. Remember, Jesus is sitting because he's conquered sin and death. And right now, for Stephen, he's standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But the people cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, listen, as he's being stoned, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Did you hear that? As he is dying, and the very people who are throwing rocks and stones and have gashed his body and broken open his head, he looks at them and he has compassion. Father, don't hold the sin against them. Forgive them as you have forgiven me. So we are called to kingdom repentance. We need to run back to Christ to confess our sins and then to receive from him his righteousness. And as we have opportunity to begin to restore the relationships that are around us and to go and tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let them hear the gospel message fresh and new today and come and worship the Savior, just as we do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, it's always easier to name general sins, to know that I'm a sinner without naming my sins specifically, Lord. But Father, all of us need to name our sins, both personally and corporately, to know that we have sinned against God alone, that those sins that we have committed the sins that we've covered up have come at a cost, and that cost is your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, please allow us to have sorrow, and not only sorrow for our sin, but, Lord, allow us to be repentant and to turn from our own ways and turn back to Christ. And as we turn back to Christ, Lord, give us that hunger and that desire for righteousness, that desire for you to be glorified and honored, no matter the cost, no matter the the temptations we find ourselves in, no matter the people who make fun of us. Lord, we want you glorified and honored in all things, in all areas of our lives, both privately and publicly. And the Father, give us the opportunity to go out and to, to bring restitution where possible for, to fix the things where we have sinned, to, to heal the, the people that are broken, to set captives free. Lord, restore to us relationships 
Lord, allow us to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And Lord, allow us to love as Christ has has loved us. But more than anything, Father, allow us to come back to the foot of the cross, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we can never be bad enough, but Lord, we can never be good enough to earn your love. So Father, we revel knowing that you love us perfectly from everlasting to everlasting, and you do not change. And so, Father, allow us to rest in knowing that we can always run back to you, repent of our sin, and hear the words that you said to your Father. I've removed their sin as far as the east is from the west, and I remember it no more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Father, we long to hear those words. And let's be true representatives of who you are to this world until we go to the next. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.